morning and welcome to the 10th episode of Classical Voice Canada, where we meet artists and discuss classical voice together. I'm your host, Kira Braun, and I'm so very glad you've joined us today. Today's guest is Canadian Estonian tenor Stephen Bell. Welcome to Classical Voice Canada, Stephen. It's so great to see you today. Good morning. <laughs> I, I hope you've been keeping well and safe during these crazy times. Yeah, it's been a difficult time, but we're, we're doing it. We're managing. <laughs> That's great. I've been watching what you're doing online. I see you going on your hikes and getting lots of fresh air and exercise. So I think that's really wonderful. And I wish that more people would do that, take to the outdoors and get off of our screens and try mm -hmm. to bring back the natural side of life. It's really important. So good. It really you. is, especially in this time. You have to be as active as you can. Yeah, and I'm, I'm hunkering down for what's to come, thinking, okay, well, I've learned that I ate too much in round one. <laughs> <laughs> well, winter is coming, right, as they say, the Game of Thrones line there, so we have to, right. we have to take advantage of this warm fall weather while we can in China. Exactly. It's a beautiful day today, too. Well, I'm so excited to interview you today, and I want to learn all about what your life has been like for the past few years. So let's just start with this. How long have you been singing professionally? Professionally, I'd say, well, if we, if we go back to the school times, I, my first professional gig would have been Vancouver Opera in the forests of uh, Balo Mascara, and that was back in, oh boy, that was my fourth year at university. So that'd be about 2004. So I guess like professionally under an equity contract, I've been singing professionally for about now 16 years. Fantastic. Wow, I wouldn't have thought that long for you only just because of how youthful you look. Because <laughs> I have no idea how old you are. So, right, I'm trying to do the math here, but <laughs> too funny. That's, that's really great. You started off with a bang and you, you went straight while you were still in school while you did your first professional gig. Wow. Yeah, they needed uh, tenors for the chorus back in uh, in 2004 at Vancouver Opera, and they had a joint affiliation with UBC Opera. So uh, a couple of us from the program had the chance to to discover what it was like being on a professional stage, and it was it was really cool. That's great. Do you have a, a memory from that specifically that you think back on either fondly or with maybe some trepidation? It's it's interesting being on a professional stage and when you see the curtain go up for the first time and a full house in a professional house obviously you know size of houses are different all around the world but in vancouver opera the queen elizabeth theater i mean the place is massive it can hold somewhere around i think 2700 people so after doing most of our concerts and opera at the chance center which is also a beautiful opera house too but i think it's seated around about 1400 to maybe 1700 so to see that difference in size and that kind of feel and rush from the audience and the, and the orchestra and the backstage staff and the whole machine of opera to all of a sudden start a show. It really was like, it, it took your breath away for the first time. And it was something that, I'll, that I also experienced when I first sang at the COC too, for the first show I did back in, in Don Carlo. The same kind of feeling when the curtain goes up and you look at this house and you see the singers on stage in front of you and it's just like this awe-inspiring moment, so yeah. Yeah, wow, that's a wonderful feeling, absolutely. Well, so how old were you or when did you first know that you wanted to be a singer and to pursue this? I, I've sung in choirs most of my life and at the Vancouver Bach Choir, because I'm, I'm from out west, and uh, I've been singing with them, I guess, since the age of about nine or ten. And uh, I guess professionally or not professionally, but thinking about giving this as a career, as a shot, um, our conductor at the time, Bruce Poland, uh, suggested when I was about you know, 16 or 17 that I might want to take a voice lesson because I hadn't actually taken voice lessons until really when I started university because I mostly I sang in choirs. So at that point, I was thinking computer science or history or music, and my parents were very supportive and saying, you know, give it a shot and try music. So uh, I guess, yeah, probably around maybe 17 is when I thought like I could actually try this and see what would happen. 
Oh, I think that's fantastic that your parents didn't steer you away from music, pursuing music in university. And because a lot of people would probably say, well, you know, you need a backup or, <laughs> and that's not a wrong thing to say, is it? Not at all anymore. <laughs> but I think back to stories my mom has told me, what's a career in flute look like? How are you ever going to make money and all of those things? But I think it's really about the passion of the music too, isn't it? It really is. I think it's the passion of the music. It's also being like aware of other skills you have at the same time. So, I mean, when I went to UBC, I also studied uh, history as a minor in piano. And of course, I also worked in a computer lab. So for me, it was like there was music always as the direct focus. But I think, um, you know, it was a very f a fundamental thing, let's just say, to also know that you're honing different crafts and skills at the same time as music. Because we all know music is, a, is, is not exactly the most rock solid in terms of a direction of what you're going to do with your job. So I think uh, having that kind of idea that you do have that fallback was really important. My parents definitely suggested that when I first started. Oh, that's great. So you mentioned UBC. Uh, did you get both of your degrees there? Yep, I got my bachelor's and master's from UBC, yes. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. I know a few other singers who have come from that neck of the woods, obviously, and uh, I believe that it's, it's a really great school for voice. So what was your master's in? What was the focus for that? Was it voice performance or? It was actually an opera performance, both for my bachelor's and master's. So UBC offered a, a very unique ability of being able to have the, your degree was a, a master's or bachelor's in music in opera performance. So I guess that okay. was the classification that went along with the degree. Uh, of course, you can minor in whatever else you do at the same time. So what was it like at UBC then uh, for you in school during those years? Was it a great experience for you? Was it tough? Was there something that was a really difficult class? I, I loved my university experience. It was some of the, you know, the happiest memories of my life in terms of learning roles and meeting people and, and traveling and having a chance to work obviously with, you know, the regional company in the area with Vancouver Opera and just learning the art of being on stage. The, the program was so comprehensive, run by Nancy Hermiston and uh, the voice faculty was fantastic. Outside the music faculty building itself, I mean, UBC is so beautiful. It's, uh, it's just like its own self-contained city in a sense away from Vancouver. And it's, you really feel like you're in a, a university experience because when you, when you go through the gates of the UBC for the first time, it's like you've kind of left Vancouver aside and you've come to this place of learning and a, a city that has its own self-sustaining elements to it in a sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. All sorts of things to the campus, just really, really, uh, I think, helpful to get that full university experience. Very nice. And you said you were from out west, so are, are you a Vancouverite or from somewhere else out west? I'm actually from Maple Ridge. So Maple Ridge is a, a community about roughly an hour, I guess, to the east of, of Vancouver. And predominantly it's a farming community, but uh, it's one of, I guess, BC's fastest growing cities now. And is, is, it was a great place to, to grow up. It's a, you know, a wonderful community, very focused on sports and the arts as well. And my, my parents still live in Maple Ridge as well. Oh, that's amazing. So I guess you've been back often to visit. I have, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really nice. Oh, I wish we could have gotten to the West Coast even this summer. It would have been a wonderful road trip, but it didn't pan out. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> So stagecraft, I'd love to talk to you about that because you are an incredible stage actor. I've seen you on stage. I've been on stage with you and <laughs> that was fantastic. You have comic chops. You're just really comfortable on stage. So what was it from, from your university days? Was there a person that you worked with who really helped you in that regard to get confidence in that way? Stagecraft, I mean, it's something that you, you study when you're doing music in school, but I think you kind of really learn it through trial by fire, so to say. So by being given a role and uh, having a chance to work on it in, in university was very helpful. Uh, of course, our director at the time, she gave us many opportunities to, to work on different operas, ranging from Tchaikovsky to Mozart to modern contemporary works to all sorts of things. And I, I mean, I love 
you know, TV, obviously, and movies and cinema, that kind of thing. So whatever you kind of watch outside of the stage and outside of school, it's kind of cool to take note of what various actors do on screen. If you go to the stage and you're watching a certain performance and you watch a certain singer or an actor, uh, it's, it's really good to obviously take note of kind of what strength they get from their performance and maybe try and focus on that the next time that you are on stage. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of it, like I love learning visually, that's just how I am. So I think when it comes to learning that particular way of moving on stage, just repetitive practice, trying to get different ideas when you're doing your staging, using different roles, protagonist, antagonist, all sorts of things, and just letting go sometimes of of singing sometimes and focusing on your body on stage really helped me to kind of become a bit more uh, relaxed when I was doing a character and a presentation. Yeah, for sure. When, when you ground yourself on that stage and then you kind of forget everything else around you, right? And you're, you're mm -hmm. able just to be in the flow. That's really important. So thinking back then over the last 16 years or so since you graduated, who has been the director that has had the most impact on you that you feel like you've learned the most from in terms of your stage craft? Whew, um, okay, that's, that's a trick that's a, question because I didn't put it on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I guess in terms of stage and movement, I mean, I have to kind of go back to the roots and I have to say, you know, it, where I first started learning and that's Nancy Hermiston okay. because I, I wasn't really... Being from the choir background, I didn't really have much experience in the acting background, let's just say, when I was first coming to UBC. So for me, when I first started, I was a bit nervous and hesitant coming to the school for the first time. And, you know, since then, I've worked with so many different directors at COC or different opera companies and regionally across Canada. But I think that first experience of doing all of these roles at UBC really helped me. And Nancy was so great at being able to showcase movement and to get more out of the artists when they're on stage. Yeah. Um, and then since then, you know, other actors and directors, I'd have to say like Robert Carson coming to the COC and doing productions with us, uh, Peter Sellers, who we've worked too on stage, uh, Joel Ivany, all, all these directors who've come to work with us too have been fantastic for just showcasing their unique sense of how they envision the production and how they envision every single person in the production, regardless if you're the lead or if you're the chorus, it's, it's really important that everyone is cohesive and also is believable to the audience. And I think it's been, you take a bit from every production that you do to yeah. uh, kind of apply to your own portfolio of acting. Yes. Yeah, and all of those folks that you mentioned are very extraordinary people and they must have an incredible amount of energy that just translates out of them and into you and it's just so inspiring to learn from them. It really is, yeah. And, and they're also approachable too. If you have questions, you can always ask them and, you know, and discussing techniques on stage. It's yeah. uh, it, people are passionate about their craft and it's always important, especially as young artists, to ask a question if you're curious about something that you can bring to the stage. Right. Tell us about your voice then. What makes it unique, Stephen? I have a, a, I guess, a light lyric tenor voice. So it's most comfortable singing in art song and uh, Handel opera, French opera and Mozart. Hmm. So it's, I guess, the fog of the voice and the type of the voice that I have, it, it's predominantly suited towards that higher light uh, repertoire. And I find, especially in art song, my voice is most comfortable. So singing Schubert and, uh, and singing Schumann and that sort of thing, uh, it's something I love, as well as, you know, Estonian art music too that I've done as well. Right. I find that I get more out of the performance and more out of my voice when I'm singing in that kind of medium. And especially in a, the different side of things, singing in a chorus, I've become to be dependent on my voice for stamina. And I think that's really important as well that you have you know, longevity in your voice that you can uh, rely upon it day in and day out, uh, especially in, in opera, which is a demanding craft on the voice. So uh, it's, it's been, uh, you learn your voice as you get older, obviously. You learn what works and what doesn't work, but those particular realms uh, of repertoire are what I, I, I tend to gravitate towards. Beautiful. And you also have coloratura ability as well, right? Because you've, you've done those Messiah pieces and... <laughs> 
a color retro is a, it's a it's a it's a really exciting thing to master, especially in in repertoire like Handel or Bach or in in Rossini too, which I, I've done as well. Even bits of Donizetti, uh, and I think that's one thing that kind of goes along with that light lyric Falk that you have in in tenors or in sopranos or in mezzos that even baritones that have uh, the ability of being able to showcase that in the, the, I guess, the arsenal of what your voice can do. And that's, uh, it's, it's exciting and challenging and rewarding to be able to get through a passage and then to be able to put ornaments on top of that, which has been something that's been fun in the process of learning coloratura. <laughs> I love it too. It's, it's so exciting to do. I've also had people ask me, well, how do you do it so quickly? And I say to them, well, you have to start working on it slowly. <laughs> and when you, you do <laughs> all the notes slowly, then, then you can put it together a little faster and a little faster. But yeah, mm -hmm. it's uh, one of the most uh, wonderful things that I love about singing is coloratura stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So you've always been a light lyric tenor then, or as you say, you came to understand what your voice really was after you grew into it for a while, or was there someone who said, no, you're a light lyric and that's what you are? In terms of where the voice started, I guess, I, I sang mostly as, I guess, a baritone when I first uh, was in the, the years after my voice had changed, because I was a, a lovely boy soprano back when I was in the choir <laughs> days when I was younger. Um, so nothing like singing PAA when you're, uh, you know, 11 or 10 years old. So <laughs> when my voice first changed, it was, uh, I guess the baritone that kind of voice that I grew into. And then when I went to school uh, and working with Bruce Pollen and, uh, and Rulof Oostwood, my other teacher at EBC, uh, they of course, you know, recognized the fact that my voice had a lighter area to it and was more comfortable in being able to navigate different parts of the passaggio. And I started trying tenor repertoire and of course didn't look back. So with, with being a tenor, it's, I mean, even naturally the way I speak, my voice is higher. Uh, and it's interesting after, you, you know, for guys when they have their vo voice change, it's, uh, you don't really know right away where that voice is going to go. But as you, right. you know, you, you get a bit older, you can, even when you're older too, your voice could change again. I mean, baritones can become tenors in their thirties or, or vice versa. Yes. But uh, I found it just became an easier repertoire to sing in. And also I, I found it more vocally comfortable for, to what I was presenting for opera or art song. Yeah, interesting. I know that singers always seem to be practicing the next thing. You know, what are we reaching for next? What do we aspire to with our voice and our ability uh, stretching out of our comfort zones? Is there anything mm -hmm. vocally that you wish you could do better or differently or that you're working toward now that you'd want to share with us? <laughs> <laughs> to stop pushing. <laughs> Basically, my, my, I, I've been, uh, it, it's my, my crux, I've always pushed. And uh, I have a horrible tendency to lose my support when I do that. So maybe when I'm 80, I'll figure that out. And uh, <laughs> I won't push anymore. Or my voice will just be so, you know, settled by that point, it's fine. But no, that's my biggest thing. It's obviously uh, not trying to manufacture your sound, letting your voice just create the sound that it should with the air and the support that you have. Uh, and it's, it's something that you can fall into when you're nervous. It's something you can fall into when you are tired, obviously. But that's something that I have to learn. And that's just something that is, as everyone says, you learn your voice throughout your entire life. So pushing and keeping that support intact is something that I will always focus on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's really honest of you to share. Thank you. Is there a teacher that you go to or give a call to once in a while still? Do you have a regular lesson or coaching or just kind of when you feel like you need it? Uh, these days, usually if I do a coaching, I will coach with Bram Goldhammer. So Bram is my, my go-to for, uh, for working both on repertoire, obviously, but also just like a quick vocal tune-up. I haven't had a voice lesson because I'm awful. I haven't had one for a while. But uh, when I do take voice lessons, usually it would be with Stephanie Vogel. But in terms of repertoire, uh, I mean, Bram and I have done work now together for the past, I'd say, year and a half, and he has begun to know my voice very well. So when you're doing repertoire practices with him, not only do you get that sort of work towards learning the rep and, of course, the, the proper way the piece should be sung, the language, etc., but on top of that, just a vocal quick check-in to see if he can hear something that I'm doing correctly or incorrectly. So, but I mean, you should take regular lessons. So, you know, <laughs> I, I need to have a voice lesson on Snow Owl too. <laughs> I agree. And I, 
I think that Graham is wonderful too. And he's probably one of the best coaches when it comes to art song and interpretation and diction as well. Mm -hmm. he, he's got all of that. So yeah, that's wonderful that you work with Graham. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And Stephanie too. She's a, a, you know, a force to be reckoned with and she has a lot to offer to, um, to a vocal student as well. You have a long list of operatic performances on your resume, on your website, and some oratorio as well. I know that you love art song, but I really think it's opera that is your thing. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, it's something that obviously when I'm singing with the, the chorus at the COC, I mean, it's, it's, it's the thing I love to do. It's, it's my, my job, obviously, as well. And uh, I mean, it's art song and opera go hand in hand, but I, I do have a love for opera, of course. So with all of the work you've done with COC and it being a job, you still feel the passion for opera itself and for performance and for singing. You haven't lost that spark. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I, I love every moment you have a chance to, to be on stage and to sing. It's, it's a gift. And, you know, I've, I've been there now for many seasons and it, you still get that rush when the curtain goes up for the first time. Still check in with your voice to make sure it's there. That will never go away. I love it. <laughs> you definitely have done a lot of seasons for sure. And you've also done other work outside of the COC, obviously. Also, I'm aware that you have a couple of CDs out there. Can you tell us about your CDs with Charles Kipper? Charles Kipper was a dear, dear friend of mine and my, my accompanist and my collaborator for many, many years. Charles was an Estonian Canadian conductor, composer, and teacher here in Toronto. And uh, when I first moved to Toronto, I, I made connections in the Estonian community and they uh, introduced me to Charles. And from there, Charles and I worked on rep extensively in the, in the Estonian rep of Estonian music, especially art song and Estonian opera, and meeting many other Estonian singers in the city and abroad, doing recitals in Canada and the US and Estonia. We did two recordings that were back in, I guess, 2016 that we recorded in Toronto. And they were just a project of ours that we wanted to put together to be able to preserve that sort of music. And from recording them, we then took them on tour and gave performances in, oh boy, like Montreal and, and Ottawa, Toronto, Vancouver and New York. And it was a wonderful time. And unfortunately, Charles passed away of cancer back in 2017. And that was, it was very hard, obviously, not just for myself and working with him, but also for the Estonian community of music, because he was such a pillar of, of knowledge and ability. And he was such a gifted musician. That's definitely a loss. But in his memory, we, you know, we keep, we keep singing, right? So we, we do, yeah. we do performances. And, and I've worked, of course, with music that I've worked with Charles, with Bram as well. So we, we maintain that that connection to the Estonian Laul or the Estonian art, art song through singing and recording as well now. Tell us about the tours that you did. How did those get booked? Did you have to do all of the legwork yourself to find the venues and book those appearances? For the Estonian concerts that Charles and I did, many of them were through organizations that were in New York, for example, or in Vancouver with festivals that would, would take place that would invite us to come and sing. Uh, so we, we did a lot of concerts like that, as well as in Montreal. Um, we did uh, concerts there with uh, both the Estonian community as well as the art song communities of Montreal. In, in Estonia, we were invited to sing by the, by the consulate, as well as the Estonian church organization in Tallinn, the capital of downtown in, in, in Estonia. And so we did presentations there with Christina Agur, who was a, yes. a mezzo based in, in Vienna. So Christina and I and Charles gave a couple performances in Estonia back in, I guess it would be 20, 2017, 2016. So um, yeah, it was, they, would, they were very interested in, in people preserving the art form. So they reached out to us and they saw the recordings and they were very interested in having us perform. That's really nice when your community suddenly perks up and recognizes that you're part of that and that you can bring something to them that is very meaningful and culturally significant. Really Absolutely. important. Yeah. yeah. What was it like going to Estonia then? Estonia is beautiful. I mean, I'm, I am Estonian by nationality as well. So I have my dual citizenship with Estonia and Canada. And my mother is Estonian and uh, my father is Canadian. 
And um, going to Estonia, I'd been before, so I was there in 2000, and I guess it would have been 11 or 10 when I was there last, traveling. But going there in, in 2016 or 2017 when Charles and I went, uh, it was a completely different experience, obviously, performing there. And just to see this, it's in many ways, probably in the capital, is like an ancient medieval preserved city. It's one of the oldest medieval cities in Europe. Uh, and it's beautiful. Uh, the downtown core is like walking back into this <laughs> fantasy novel in a sense and seeing the buildings that date back hundreds of years ago. And to meet people who are very kind, to see the influence also with the, the Baltic countries, its neighbors, but as well as the Russian influence to the east. It's a really interesting country to really get exposure to all of Eastern Europe and to see that way of life and the food and the people. Yeah. And it's, it's, really if you haven't been to Estonia you really should go <laughs> <laughs> Estonia marketing <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> do you speak Estonian then fluently I don't speak it fluently unfortunately my mom does so I'm a bad Estonian that way she okay. does speak fluently but I don't I speak a bit but I I mostly have focused on the pronunciation of it obviously Estonia is a very very difficult language it's part of the Austro Finnish Hungarian language group uh, and the cases of, of learning just even vowels and grammar alone is is very difficult. So it's something that I have been learning over the past few years, but I want to continue my my studies in it because it's, it definitely can be something I'd like to brush up on. Would you be a possible Estonian coach for somebody who wanted to learn to sing in Estonian or is there somebody that you go to for that? Is it your mom? <laughs> I mean, my mom definitely helps if, if, I have, if I ever have a question in regards to a certain pronunciation or translation. I, I do know how to read and, and read the inflection of the vowels, obviously, of how they should be pronounced. So if people had a, a quick question they can ask. But I would say for a real translation and a real coaching, I'd recommend somebody in the community who does speak yeah. uh, so influently, like, I don't know, Abokitas, who's a baritone here in Toronto. Uh, he's wonderful at being able to help get uh, proper pronunciation as well as offer suggestions on how to sing Estonian language. Would you say that it is more vowel-centric while singing or consonant-centric? More vowel-centric, definitely oh, vowel-based. That's, yeah. that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some, some languages where there are so many consonants, it's, it's much more difficult, right? Mm -hmm. So, cut those vowels we need. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> I'm aware that you do so much more than singing, and I'm so impressed all the time by all of your artistic ability and your keen eye for framing a photograph. I know that you started a company a little while ago designing and building websites, and it has blossomed into something pretty big, and you've managed to connect it with many people in the industry, and that is so important, too, to support the industry that you're in and bring another facet of your talent to light. Tell us about Coffee Shop Creative. Coffee Shop Creative is a company that I founded back in 2014 that first started creating websites for artists predominantly in the city here in Toronto. And since 2014, we've grown into a team of about six of us who all work remotely and both in website design as well as in videography. And so we've done about roughly, I guess, 60 custom websites, both for artists as well as for uh, financial companies, for construction companies, for companies in realty, all sorts of different vocations that have need of, of a custom web presentation. And our focus was to create just simple, clean, minimalistic sites that are also predominantly focused towards mobile design. So having a really good, clean, unique view of the site on the phone. So that's where we kind of started. And then from there, we've grown into uh, videography, thinking about at that time adding video to the headers of the tops of websites to get kind of like a quick presentation of extra additional footage. But now we begin to offer commercial videography. And since then, we've actually become even more busy, to be honest, in videography than web. So uh, we've done projects now extensively, obviously, in commercial, but also in some short film. And so uh, we've got lots of projects coming up in that. And I'm very grateful to Coffee Shop because Coffee Shop is basically my full-time job now. So I'm able to rely solely on Coffee Shop as my job and 
the partnerships I've made through it, working with developers and working with videographers and, and meeting different people, obviously in the arts, but then outside of the arts has been really, really exciting to, to focus that, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit we have as singers to put yeah. that into a, a non-musical realm, such as tech or videography. Uh, it was really helpful. So that kind of mindset of thinking as an entrepreneur and then focusing that towards tech has really, really helped. And uh, we're always looking to do exciting projects coming up. That's really cool. And you're not just a guy behind a desk writing code. You are out there behind the camera and you have mm -hmm. creative vision as well. So it, it seems like you've got a real drive for cinematography and I've seen your drone photographs, which are just incredible. It feels like you're a pioneer of the drone photography. Drone videography and photography kind of came around obviously web design and videography with coffee shop because people wanted to have that unique aspect of capturing footage of a commercial or capturing uh, videography in areas that you can't get to with a steady camera. At one time it was like, sure, I'll do drone work. Now it's just kind of included. So <laughs> it, it's something that I've done in Canada, that abroad, I've taken with me traveling. I've done it for companies in, in Scotland. When we traveled to Scotland a couple of times, it's it's something that has become this passion of mine to get footage and, you know, videography is always evolving. I mean, we're all learning about it now in this, you know, pandemic era that we're all trying to learn videography in some sort of sense, regardless if it's Zoom or recording yourself or whatever else. Yeah. And uh, I, it's very interesting utilizing all of these tools that you have at your disposal because there's lots of them out there. Right. And uh, definitely they, they are something that once you start, start, pardon me, you don't want to stop trying. So, yeah. Do you do video work then videography with singers who want to record something artistic or just create a simple video for their website then? Is that part of where it started? Yeah, a videography, I guess where it first started, to be honest, was actually with construction companies. So that's kind of where the videography began with the drone and everything else. But since then, you know, the shooters that I work with and my team, uh, we've done work with, for example, like Manitoba Opera or Against Screen Theatre coming up or yeah. uh, companies in the city that do, that need to have like a cinematic presentation for their artists to show something unique. And I think being a singer, it's, it really helps kind of get a sense of the storyboarding of what you're recording because I've worked on stage a bit now so that I kind of know what maybe the singer might like to see so I can suggest a certain idea and then show them afterwards and it, it really helps I guess in the efficiency of the project. Yeah for sure that's really cool <laughs> it's it's super exciting to uh, always to see your stuff and you mentioned that you've done some short films too tell us about the, the one short film that I've seen of yours, and yeah, I believe you won an award with that. Yeah, so I did a short film back in 2019 with an actress here in Toronto on a piece she commissioned and created called Clown. And it's about a, a, a story centered around mental illness. And so we did this short film back in Burlington, I believe it was, and we shot this and submitted it essentially just because she wanted to create it and I was adding to my cinematic reel at that time. And we submitted to short films both in Los Angeles and the UK and across Canada and New York. And we received actually some honorable mentions and some finalist selections, which blew me away because I had no experience submitting short films per se, because I've only done commercial work. But since then, that really sparked interest in doing more short films. And we've got a couple coming up that we have that will hopefully shoot in the fall depending on how things are obviously with the pandemic. It's really exciting seeing the community of film in North America and abroad and how supportive, encouraging and, and recognizing they are of up and coming filmmakers. So yeah, it was a very cool process and I will be sharing it publicly. I, I just have to hold out for one more week for the last submission to film festivals before I can share the film online because you can't share a film until it's been fully sent through all of its submissions. So the submissions, I believe, close as of next week. So yeah, then I can, oh, I can share it around. Nice. Very nice. Congratulations. It's wonderful yeah. and to, to feel that early success, right? And that just builds the fire for the next thing. Exactly. So, yeah, good for you. Very cool. Oh, tell us about your YouTube channel. 
So, okay, YouTube. We, uh, my friend Janica and I started a YouTube channel back in, I guess it was last year. So about roughly 10 months ago, maybe 11 months ago. Uh, we have a love of tech. We love drones. We love cameras and all, all sorts of videography and photography related topics. And, you know, looking at YouTube for information, we thought to ourselves, well, why not make a channel ourselves? And uh, so we created originally too lazy for Google, which was a uh, YouTube channel based on kind of like really quick information for people looking for tips and tricks on cameras and gear and all that kind of stuff. So since then, we've done about, I'd say, 55 videos. So essentially one a week um, over the wow. past year. And we've now grown over to uh, about 1,400 subscribers and we're growing every day. And the channel is now monetized. So that means that when the videos play, uh, they have uh, Google Adware that is associated with them. So we get uh, a small percentage of payment from Google for having our videos show. Uh, and we changed the name now to Stephen and Janica. So we're no longer under the Google name where we have uh, our, our name title displaying up on search results. But it's been really, really, really good to have this during this video time that we all live in now with, uh, with the pandemic. So my, my suggestion is if anybody has the inclination to start a YouTube channel, just do it. Because right now there are more eyes than ever on all things digital, streaming, video, etc., yes. YouTube, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. And it's really a rewarding process doing these videos and then meeting people online who are also doing them and connecting with fellow members of your videography community. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. That's pretty exciting. And uh, also very entrepreneurial. It, it, well, it's something that, I mean, entrepreneurial, of course, does help being that kind of mindset towards YouTube, but having just, uh, I mean, the trick of having a good video is just good content and having a, a message that you're passionate about. It could be tech, it could be cooking, it could be singing, it could be fix-its and how-tos. Whenever people have something they want to find, uh, they're going to go to Google or they're going to go to YouTube of like, how do I put this in? Or how do I do this? Or how do I fix this? That's why if your video's up there, it will get viewed. I know. I've been all over that for GarageBand tips, how to edit uh -huh. sound. So it's been super helpful. Yeah, I, I want to learn more about videography and photography as well. So I should become a subscriber to your channel. <laughs> Check us out. We're everybody, there. I mean, everybody subscribe to Stephen's channel. <laughs> and, sorry, what's your partner's name on there? Uh, Stephen and Janica. Janica Wolihinda. So Janica is a baritone here in Toronto as well. And uh, he's also a fellow videographer. So uh, okay. I've known Janica for years. And we both have an uh, interest in video. Beautiful. Stephen and Jenica, go and subscribe. You are married to a beautiful actress who is also very successful. I'm watching her career <laughs> blossoming as well. What does her work inspire you to do? Well, both of us have a huge love for film and uh, Angela's a really, really very talented actress. And uh, she has now been on multiple series, short films. She's got a series coming on Amazon that we have coming up this fall. And her career is really starting to, you know, take off right now too. So having a chance to both be in film and to kind of encourage one another to do self-tapes together, to uh, get ideas on editing together, to, you know, to basically help her if she needs any kind of help with any presentation or monologues or all that sort of thing. It's exciting to kind of go in the video realm together, both, I guess, behind the lens and in front of the, in front of the lens. And she's got some exciting projects coming up. And it's going to be really cool to, like, you know, make some popcorn and, like, watch <laughs> her on a streaming platform with the, with the series she has coming up on Amazon. So that's something that I'm really excited about. I'm very grateful to have a partner who's also in video. Is this Amazon series one that involves zombies? Or is that something it, else? Yeah, it's kind of like that. It's uh, it's called Age of the Living Dead. So it's coming out in, uh, in the fall. It is, it's, I think, Vampires versus Humans. So it's not too zombie related. But okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. I've seen some of the footage and it looks amazing. So I, I can't yeah. wait to see it. Yeah, I've seen some clips too. And I'm excited to see the whole thing when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, well, stay tuned. <laughs> and she's also a ballerina. Yeah, she's also classically ballet trained. And so she dances at the National Ballet School once in a while. And she's also now a horseback rider. And she's gotten into horseback riding. And she's just fallen in love with that. So that's something she's been doing for the past year or so as well. And we've seen her as an extra on stage with the COC as well. Is that where you met? 
That's where we met. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Back in Tales of Hoffman. Yeah. Tales of Hoffman uh, in 2012. Very nice. Wow. Quite a, a love story. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening with the COC season now? Obviously, they've had to make some big changes. Can you tell us a little bit about what's coming? So the season, as I think every every company here in Canada has experienced, is that we, we don't really know what's going to happen coming up. And of course, back in the, the spring, we all the productions and all the basically stage presentations across North America were all shut down and stages went dark. So to take consideration of workers' health and also the health of the public, uh, we've had to make adjustments with that. As far as I know, we're hoping to do productions in, in 2021. So that's still the, the goal of the company. I mean, we still are, are planning for that. But of course, we have to take that under consideration with the, you know, what, what's best for the, this, I guess, public health of Ontario. And we'll find out more information as we get close to that. But we have some amazing productions that we've got coming up. So, I mean, there's Carmen and Katja Kabanovov, and there, there's, there's some great productions that we have planned in, in Traviata in the spring. So I'm really hopeful that we'll have a chance to do it. And hopefully we, this pandemic will allow us to return to the stage. Yeah, I, I understand they might be videotaping some smaller productions or smaller presentations out in the lobby of the Four Seasons Center. Uh, are you going to be involved in any of that? Well, I haven't heard anything as of yet. So hopefully we'll have a chance to do something coming up with that. I know that all the, the companies in Toronto are moving towards more of a digital initiative, especially like the National Ballet with their, their presentations of, uh, of Heather Ogden doing you know, the, the short film presentation of Lulu, which was beautiful. So uh, I'm hoping we'll have a chance to do some video work uh, if it's going to be uh, a streamed performance or a recorded performance. Okay, well, we'll be watching. And yeah. for any information, we can obviously hop onto the COC website and just see what they've got coming up. What words mm -hmm. of advice would you give to a young singer today, knowing what you know now about the industry? <laughs> That's a loaded question. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very interesting thing to think about singing in today's today's reality, obviously, of, of how things are on stage. And you have to be honest with the, to yourself as well as, I guess, to what you expect coming up. But of course, pre-COVID or during COVID, I think the most important thing you have to do is you have to love it and you have to commit your time to it and you have to be open to learning and you have to be, uh, I guess, encouraging of your, of your fellow uh, castmates, uh, people on stage. Um, and also open to, to travel, to be in a different community or in a different country, depending upon the opportunities that might come up. I think that's a big one. Like, as they always say, you know, go to Europe, my son or daughter, go and sing abroad. And I, th I think it's, it's important to have that flexibility that, you'd that you can do that. I I've worked a bit overseas back uh, after I finished with UBC with an opera company in the Czech Republic for a number of seasons when their singers went on vacation. So I, I would come in and I would do the end of their run, let's say, the last four or five shows of, of Eugene Onegin or of Manon. And I would come in to sing the roles while, while the tenor goes off to the cottage and has their, uh, their vacation. So having that chance to work in Europe and see how, that, how the whole system is not just on the, the opera stage, but in the smaller concert venue that happens almost every night at, at the local church or parish or concert hall or open air terrace in the downtown old town squares yeah. and, and seeing that like you are doing language study over there and, and doing uh, movement study coachings uh, having a chance to work as a program i mean that there's so much over there and that you learn a language that you are singing in back home here in Canada, especially in Italian or German or French or English. And I think that's really key to get that experience. So flexibility, travel, loving it, committing to it, and just being, you know, honest with yourself as well as driven to really learn as much as you can and to find out what best suits you as a singer. Yeah, those are great words of advice. And I, I think it's wonderful that you've made all of these connections for yourself, that you've been able to 
make those experiences happen just based on finding those connections over time obviously they don't happen overnight but it's really mm -hmm. important to network and reach out to people many many people are very approachable and if you reach out to them um, it's the odds are that they're going to respond Exactly. I think it's really important to, uh, especially if you have career questions that you can ask from a coach or ask from uh, a mentor that you've worked with at school or in a professional company, uh, it's, it's important to uh, just really focus on, you're not alone in this. I mean, sometimes it might feel like when you go off to a new audition that, you know, you're doing an audition in the States or in Canada and there's a, a room full of people that you might not know. But if you have a question about that, it's, it's so important to make sure that you do. So you just feel more confident because confidence is huge when it comes to singing, knowing your repertoire, knowing what the direction is for your presentation of your aria, and just knowing the city that you're in and what you want to do or the company you're singing for or the director you're singing for, learning about them. So when you walk into the room, it's not a surprise. That is, that is huge to kind of give you that little bit of extra confidence so that you can then focus on singing when you get there. Right. Now, it's not always a bed of roses, is it? You might encounter, and perhaps you have never encountered this, but you might encounter a director or a conductor who's just difficult sometimes or makes things feel difficult or as a as a new singer out there, a raw beginner, you feel intimidated by those people. What words of advice would you have there if somebody encounters that type of thing? How do you deal with that? I would suggest that as I learned back at school the very first day I got there that regardless of the situation, regardless of, uh, of the personalities you're working with or in the individuals or how your day was, or if you had a fight with your, your partner or if your car had a flat tire or, <laughs> you know, if you failed a course or if you have trouble in whatever, whatever life has that you walked into the room with, you put it in a bag and leave it at the door. You're there to do a job. You're there to sing. You're there to focus on your craft. If you were hired or casted for a reason, you're hired or casted for a reason. So, <laughs> trying to just do, do the best you possibly can. And that's all you can do. Uh, and you try and be as helpful as the situation. You try and be as, as understanding to whoever is directing, conducting, assisting, uh, planning, etc. Just make sure that you focus on, do I know my rep? Do I know what I'm doing? Have I learned my music? Am I memorized? And am I going to give a good performance? Wonderful. Have you ever set foot on stage or had a little bit of nerves attack you before you've had to perform a role or appear in public? Oh, yes, it happens every <laughs> single time. Those nerves never go away. Oh boy, I mean, I guess, the, I remember the one, one time that was the biggest surprise ever is that we were doing a performance of Cosi Fan Tutte in, um, in Prague with the, with the opera company and joint affiliation with UBC Opera that brought us over there. And we were supposed to give a presentation for the Cote Fantute for the Estate Theater in Prague. So we were gonna give, like I was saying before earlier, you know, finishing off their season. But we were told that it was gonna be presented as a student performance, that it was not gonna be massively attended, that it would just be a great learning experience for us as artists. And I'll never forget that we got there and uh, when we got to the, the house to, you know, to set up and to you know, get the costume and makeup, we were looking at the program and the program didn't mention anything about the fact that we were students. It just, it was regular bill, regular season subscription, regular everything to one of the biggest companies in the Czech Republic. And when that curtain went up and I expected 20 people, that entire theater <laughs> was full. Oh no. And it, and they even had dignitaries from the, the Czech government that were there just thinking it was a regular performance on a Saturday night. And uh, that was at the, the, the Don Giovanni Theater in, in downtown Prague. And that were, that's where they filmed Amadeus. Like, you know, for me as a young tenor of like 22, expecting just to give a student performance, here we are on stage about to do Cosi Van Tutte for the regular opera public of the Czech Republic. I mean, I'll never forget the opening trio and I was like trying to find my voice for the first two seconds being like, wow, this is really happening. Like I'm actually here. So, uh, but those, those nerves never leave you. And it's not, it's not something that you ever, I think, want to lose because when you become too comfortable on stage, you kind of lose that edge that, that propels you into that feeling of being, you know, in the zone with the adrenaline going and knowing that you're going to give a performance. 
So, I mean, it, nerves are there. Nerves are there when I sometimes sing happy birthday to people. I mean, it's <laughs> regardless if you have a curtain in front of you or a bunch of friends, I think it's always a little bit, you know, nerve wracking when you open up your voice. And I think that's, that's natural. And I always use that whenever I sing. I've heard it said that if you don't feel a little bit nervous, then you really aren't human. <laughs> exactly, yeah. That's a, that's a pretty funny story. I, I was just going to ask you for a funny story. That's a pretty funny story. Oh, I've, got, I've got lots of them. I've got lots and lots of stories. <laughs> okay, so, so that one centers around nerves and how you were shocked to find what was sitting in the audience and how many people and everything. And then you just, you had a moment or two and then you, you, mm -hmm. it. you overcame it and you dealt with it. So what about a funny moment, like a truly funny moment that you've had? Oh boy! Well, I don't know if this is really funny, but it's it's it definitely has comedic elements to it. Um, I have a dislocated shoulder issue, which has popped out I don't know how many times now, about seven or eight times. It's an old hockey injury. And uh, anyways, I have dislocated my shoulder in oh, it's happened on stage a couple of times. It happened back at university when I was doing Orpheus the Underworld. It happened when I was doing Tanzmeister and Brigella at Toronto Summer Music Festival. It happened when I was doing. Don Quixote in rehearsal at the COC. It happened then too, not on stage, but you know, before you get to the stage. And then it also happened uh, in Halifax when I was doing a Pagliacci. And I guess that's the funniest one because it happened before I got to the performance, the final performance of Pagliacci where I was singing Beppe. And Beppe has to hold a guitar and sing. And I dislocated my shoulder the night before, just over a freak thing, you know, moving my shoulder around incorrectly and you know, like the party trick, it popped out. So I, I had to go to the hospital to get put it back in and because I couldn't put it in myself, unfortunately. And they gave me very, very strong drugs. Oh, yeah. And I remember I still had to sing because we're off in Lunenburg doing this last performance of Pagliacci with Maritime Concert Opera. And, and like, God bless my cast because I got there and I, I don't even really remember giving the performance. But <laughs> evidently, fantastic. <laughs> and I had to, I had to hold a guitar and strum while I sing, you know, Beppe's aria. Yeah. <laughs> and so they propped up my guitar with like the strap so that I could just hold it and just basically move my right arm like I'm strumming. As I said before, you know, there's no pushing. It was great. My voice was free. <laughs> I mean, it was something that really, uh, it was, it was an interesting performance. But I mean, looking back now, it was crazy. I don't even remember most of it. So uh, I guess that's, that's a funny one for sure. I've never heard anything like that before. And it's excruciatingly painful to have your shoulder oh, yeah. dislocated and then put back in. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, my son put his out last year. And I, I wasn't there when it happened. But uh, his dad sent me a little video clip of him in the hospital when they put his shoulder back in he wasn't even aware what was going on at all because of the meds okay. they had given him and the poor guy they just uh they wrapped a sheet around one shoulder and or under his arm i think and uh, and then they did it and <laughs> oh my god i feel free oh, yeah. i feel free. no it was it's, it's something but you have to in the sense of the stage depending upon the production the show has to go on Right. So you have to think of, way of overcoming it and like a shoulder is not your voice so you still have to sing and uh it's i, I mean i happened once in, in donkey shot too obviously in a rehearsal i had my shoulder popped out when i was doing a, a a sword fight and i had to do the rest of the run and i was understudying a character as well so oh. they have to you know figure out a sling and you have to be very careful on stage obviously but uh, that's just that's the, that's that's live theater like you don't know what's going to happen so you just have to kind of figure things out and keep going. So do you have that on your resume? Shoulder may pop out <laughs> unexpectedly? <laughs> no, but I definitely let people know about, uh, about that depending upon <laughs> the movements that I have to do. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow, wow. Well, you just mentioned being out east for this performance of Pagliacci and if I'm right and remember correctly, your pianist for that was Bram Goldhammer. That's right. It was Bram, yeah. Okay. And so that brings us to my last question or the last topic of our conversation, which is the song that you've brought for us today and why you've chosen this piece of music. This piece of music that I've chosen is from a recording that Bram and I did pre-COVID. So we were, uh, it's a project of ours. We wanted to, you know, record Winterreise 
by, by Schubert. And uh, we recorded this with Ryan Harper back in studio, I guess it would have been in February. So before the, before the whole pandemic took place and lockdowns happened, and uh, we recorded the, the, the cycle over two days. And uh, this is uh, Gutenacht, which is the first, uh, I guess, movement, first piece of the, of the song cycle in Winterreise. And I think it's appropriate, especially now as we head towards winter, to you know reflect upon music that's appropriate to the time. And uh, as I, I said before, art song has always been a love of mine. So I, this is really a, a piece that I find very you know I'm, I'm passionate to perform. So I'm hoping to do a, a video presentation of this somehow, potentially with an actor in black and white. Maybe do a, a music video of this in when we have snow, <laughs> so it can look realistic. So potentially I'll do that coming up this winter time. Wonderful. And this Gute Nacht, tell us about the lyric in this particular piece. Gute Nacht is uh, the opening movement in Winterreise or D911 of Schubert's song cycle. And essentially it talks about the beginning journey of this poet or this man who's, you know, in, in my mind, someone walking around lost both in love and life potentially homeless, destitute, all, all of that. The lyrics quickly translate into, I arrived a stranger, a stranger I now depart. May, may have blessed me with many bouquets of flowers, this woman who I loved, and her mother even spoke of the marriage. However, now the world is desolate and the path I walk is concealed beneath the snow. And he goes on to say, I cannot choose a time for this journey and I must find my own way in the darkness as the shadow is my only companion with the moon above and the white meadows that are essentially empty, save for uh, deer and woodland creatures. Should I tarry on much longer, he asks. How much longer can I go? The only companion now I have seems to be the dogs that howl beside their master's house. This dear night is also the dead of night, and I think of you in my dreams, and it's now a shame that my life has now ventured in this path, but as I pass the door ahead of me, a door behind me closed. And I say to you, good night, so that I may see you once more in my dreams. So what happened to the woman? In my mind, it sounds like a scorned uh, lover, obviously. Somebody who may have had a partner who left him or a relationship that didn't work. Uh, so potentially, they are no, obviously, they are no longer together. Right. But this man is now wandering about in essentially a homeless state. And as the cycle goes on, we learn more about his, his mental state as well, and eventually how he loses all touch of reality. And in many ways, when the song cycle was written, it, it mimicked that of how Schubert was going through his own personal struggles and mental struggles. And we, we see somebody who may have fallen into addiction back then at the time with opium. And a lot of, uh, many of the songs that are further on the cycle talk about uh, hallucinating, hallucinating and, and seeing things that aren't there. And also, you know, the uh, line at the end talks about him seeing an organ grinder who he falls off with uh, into, you know, whatever happens next. And that could be a personification, obviously, of death. Yeah. So uh, it's a very potent and powerful cycle that deals a lot with mental illness and, and, and essentially a lost soul. Amazing. And it's truly important for a singer to tackle any of those works, to have a very clear understanding of what the storyline is, what those lyrics are all about, what the history and background is of the composer, what his mindset would have been at the time and what they were suffering through, through that romantic period of music. So it's, it sounds like uh, you've done a beautiful job with it. I can't wait to share it with all of our listeners. Awesome. Yeah, it's, we haven't, uh, this is also raw raw audio we haven't edited out yet because you were going to put it into a studio to get it edited out and of course COVID happened so uh, this is the actual take so okay. uh, this is definitely the uh, raw you know initial performance. Did you record it at number nine? This was actually recorded at Bram's, uh, at Bram's house so oh, this was wow. recorded back with Ryan who took his mobile setup and we converted to I guess Bram's salon into a mini recording studio and it worked really well uh, I was quite surprised with the quality of the recording. Fantastic. And then he's comfortable at his own piano too. I think that's really important. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's something that you can definitely find a good recording studio. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a fantastic place like number nine. It could also be in an area that has a good, a good piano and a, and a quiet environment. 
Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Wow, well, we have come to the end of an hour and it's been so exciting. I've learned so much about you just chatting with you for this one hour's time. And a lot of it has been really enlightening. It's things that I always hope to share with young singers or aspiring singers and to hear some of the, the insights that you've shared coming from a person with your experience has been really wonderful and very helpful. So thank you, Stephen. It's been an absolute pleasure. pleasure speaking to you. Uh, thank you so much, Kira. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. Damit du mir 
listening to tenor Stephen Bell singing the first work in the song cycle Die Winterreise by Schubert entitled Gute Nacht, accompanied by pianist Bram Goldhammer. Thank you for listening to Classical Voice Canada.